The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks snapping a five-day losing streak, but they're still down for the week as investors gear up for the Fed's next decision day. Also, crude, that's lower too, doing something for the first time since last December, but concerns this morning that prices could spike once again. And a wild week for Tesla as concerns over Musk splitting time between the EV maker and Twitter. They really start to weigh on the sentiment, the investor sentiment of Tesla. And the end of athleisure, trouble at the sector's powerhouse producer as its holiday outlook falls short. Plus, flexing its antitrust muscle as the Biden administration looks to put the kibosh on Microsoft's $69 billion Activision buyout. It is Friday, December the 9th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Happy Friday. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off your Friday morning with a check on U.S. stock futures after stocks snapped a five-session losing streak yesterday. Futures right now basically flat. The Nasdaq doing the best out of all of them right now, um, up very slightly. But right now, again, as we always say at this hour, it's pretty early. We also want to check the bond market, as we always do. Something to watch, especially with that Fed meeting coming up next week. We're seeing right now the 10-year at 3.48, the two-year at 4.28. Both of them about 10 basis points lower than they were at the start of the week. Um, that inversion still going on. The gap not closing. A lot of people consider that a recession indicator. Also looking at energy. Oil coming off its lowest close of the year. This morning, it's a bit higher right now. We're seeing WTI and Brent crude both up about a percent. WTI almost a percent and a half higher. But both of them about 10 bucks a barrel lower than they were to start the week. Also, crypto. We're always watching crypto. We're actually seeing some upward movement in crypto, at least when we're talking Bitcoin. Bitcoin now fractionally higher this morning, but back above that 17,000 mark. That seems to be a key level now. Different story for Ethereum, however, actually slightly lower for the week. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. We have like a special guest appearance. Our Juliana Tattlebaum back from some great reporting in the Netherlands on the energy situation there. She's now in our London newsroom. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Thank you for the warm welcome back. Although it's not so warm, even in the studio, it feels pretty chilly here in London. Uh, let me take you to the action we've seen in Asia overnight. It's been another strong session. The Hang Seng over in Hong Kong leading the gains up 2.3%. Nikkei 225 in Japan catching a bit as well, up 1.2%. In the mainland in China, the gains more muted, but still we ended in positive territory up about a third of a percent. Some green for Australia as well. And this is really ref- reflective of the overall trade we've seen in Asia this week. So let me just take you to the Hang Seng week-to-date chart. You can see the strong gains we've seen in the region. The Hang Seng up 6.6% over the course of the week. All of that on the back of the uh, positive reopening narrative that's really taken shape in not only the mainland, but also in Hong Kong as the region looks to uh, move toward a living with COVID scenario. Now on to Europe. The trade has been um, fairly muted so far. The positive momentum building over the 
last half an hour or so. Zetradax now up about a quarter of a percent. FTSE 100 up two tenths of a percent. But for the week overall, we've seen, in contrast to the strong trade in Asia, fairly weak trade in Europe. So here's a picture for you of where we stand week to date. Coming into the, the session, the stock 600, the main benchmark, was down just about 1.8 percent. So we are uh, clawing back, paring back those losses somewhat, but still clearly firmly in the red this week as investors brace for the bumper week next week with the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of England, and plenty more. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. All right, turn our attention to this morning's top, top stories, especially here in the U.S. Our Silvana Hanau is here on a Friday morning. Silvana, happy Friday and good morning to you. Happy Friday to you, Frank. Good morning. Well, Frank, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission says it is suing to block Microsoft's nearly $69 billion acquisition of video game maker Activision Blizzard, claiming the deal would stifle competition. The Activision deal would be Microsoft's largest ever acquisition and would make it the third biggest gaming company in terms of sales. The deal is also being scrutinized overseas by the U.K. Competition and Markets Authority, as well as the European Commission. Twitter is reportedly introducing a new set of controls to allow companies to prevent their ads from appearing above or below tweets containing certain keywords. According to Reuters, the move is an attempt to woo advertisers back to the platform without fear their messaging will be associated with controversial commentary. And the U.S. economy is heading into a short and shallow recession over the coming year. Now, that's according to a new poll of economists from Reuters. Along with the weak outlook for growth, respondents unanimously expect the Federal Reserve to hike interest rates by a smaller 50 basis points when it meets next week, with at least one more medium-sized high early next year, Frank. Yeah, one of the few times in life that short and shallow might be good thing. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you you later on the show. All right, turning our attention back to the markets with the S&P snapping its five-day losing streak. The major indices on pace to break their two-week winning streaks as investors really gear up for the release of the latest look at inflation today with a producer price index report later on this morning. For much more on this, let's bring in Vance Howard, CEO and Portfolio Manager at Howard Capital Management. Vance, great to see you as always. Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you? Oh, Vance, I'm doing pretty good. The market's doing a little bit better, breaking a losing streak. So just give me a sense of how you see the market setting up today after that positive day yesterday. I, I think we're probably going to start to move move higher. You know, our short-term and intermediate-term buy line is, is positive. So we started taking some trades about two or three weeks ago. Um, the longer-term buy line is, not, is still negative. So caution is, is very much out there needs to be adhered to. But our, our optimism is growing by day, by day by day. I think I think the markets have overshot a little bit. I think on the short-term basis, we're going to get a little, nice little rally. But who knows? Maybe this is the setup of the turn. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think anybody knows right now, Vance. Last time we had you on, you said you were set up in a 60-40 portfolio, but not that traditional one. It was 60% stocks, the other 40% not bonds. It was actually cash. Are you still there? And if so, why? No, Frank, we've been we've been adding to our positions now. I'd say we've moved up to about 65, maybe pushing 70 percent invested with 30, 35 percent cash, depending on the different portfolio that we're running. We haven't started to buy the bonds yet, but I think the bonds have gotten to the point now that they've, they've oversold and sort of overreached to the downside. You know, the 20 year treasuries had a nice two or three week run, which is somewhat positive. But I think some of these bonds are actually starting to look attractive. I think that emerging market bonds may be a place that we, we're going to start to look to invest some money. And you can play that by the bonds themselves or, or a good ETF. ETF is a good place to play those emerging market bonds. Really interesting, emerging markets. So um, I also want to talk to you about your stock picks. I want to start with one that I think is pretty interesting just because of everything we're seeing in the energy market, Chevron. Why is that a pick for you right now? 
I think the energy as a whole is going to do very, very well going into 2023, Frank. I don't know if you've – I've been looking at this, and I know you have too. You just talked about it. One of your your co-hosts just talked about this. But with Asia opening up and China opening up, I think that's really, really critical what's going to happen to the energy and infrastructure and energy. I think that if they open up at a a faster pace than what they have been over the past two or three weeks and they really start to open up, I think you're going to see energy climb no matter what energy stock you have, especially the big energy stocks, Exxon, Chevron. It's really not going to matter. You may make Again, you may want to play this through an ETF, but I think energy in 2023 is going to go much higher. I think a barrel of oil is going to easily go over $100 a barrel. Very interesting. So you're forecasting for a $100 Brent and WTI? Uh, w, I'd go with w, you know, West Texas crude and um, is, is where I'd be looking for $100 a barrel. But I think that you're just going to have more demand if China opens back up. I don't think there's any way around it. All right, Vance, we almost got to get out of here. I want to get to the other two stock picks really quick. Give me the elevator pitch for Amgen and also Crown Castle. <laughs> I, I just like Amgen because I, I like the sector. The biotech sector is doing well. Amgen's got a good technical trade for a good, you know, nice four, five, six, eight percent pop. The way that it's setting up in that flag pattern. When you look at Crown Capital uh, Castle, I like that real estate stock. It's paying, you know, a dollar twenty a share on as, as a dividend, and it's almost a utility stock because they've got over forty thousand cell, cell towers throughout the U.S. So. You know, it's a great real estate play, and it's another one that we're looking at because I think that it overshot to the downside, and I think you can get a real bargain here in CCI. All right, Vance Howard with the 65-35 portfolio, 35 in cash. Don't hear that very often. Vance, great to see you. Happy Friday. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, China's zero-COVID policy dealing yet another blow to that country's economic prospects. Despite this week's easings, much more details ahead. Plus, it's not just the fabric shrinking demand at the Athleisure Powerhouse Lululemon. I like that one. Taking that stock down sharply ahead of the open, we're going to explain that joke coming up. And later, a very tough week for Tesla as investors grow impatient with Elon Musk. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools All right, welcome back. China's inflation slowed in November as COVID outbreaks hit domestic demand. Consumer prices rising 1.6 percent versus a more than 2 percent increase in October as food prices ease sharply. Producer prices falling for a second straight month in November on a year over year basis. This latest data coming in a week when the Chinese government eased some restrictions in a major shift from the zero COVID policy it has maintained the past few years. But some analysts say anxiety created by those pandemic measures could hamper a quick return to health for the world's second largest economy. Let's talk a lot more about this with Shazad Kazi, managing director at China Beige Book. Shazad, great to have you here. 
Thanks for having me on. All right. So China really seems to be the big if in the global economy. If it reopens, this could happen. If it doesn't reopen, these other things could happen. You actually say China is in a catch-22. You have a really great turn of phrase, a catch-2022 when it comes to COVID. Please explain. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're looking at a very complicated picture at the moment, of course, uh, where restrictions have been lifted and pared back. The most, you know, the, the first risk is the most obvious one, which is that you get a China which faces a fast rise in cases, uh, the absence of vaccinations and all sorts of restraints, uh, constraints rather on the healthcare system create a uh, very serious healthcare crisis facing the country. But on the other hand, uh, what you could get in the coming months, not in the coming weeks, as markets for some reason seem to believe, but in the coming months, is increasingly if consumer activity does pick up, then you know, you're starting to look at the reacceleration of, of, of pricing, you know, price pressures and so forth. Uh, but you, know, you, you have to have, it's very difficult to navigate those two uh, policies mm-hmm. um, at, 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 you know, at, at this present moment. I want to push back on one thing. You're saying without a vaccine, but China does have a vaccine. They don't have an mRNA vaccine. So are you saying an mRNA vaccine in China is a complete game changer? I think that is going to be one of the most critical components uh, that are that is needed in order to have a reopening that can be sustained. Uh, Without that, there is still a serious risk, of course, of certain cities, of certain neighborhoods, having to reimpose lockdowns, especially as we get into this uh, very, uh, you know, the winter period where outbreaks could be very large. Um, and, and of course, as you get towards, uh, the, you know, the, the Chinese New Year and so forth. So an mRNA vaccine, I do believe, uh, is ultimately the game changer in this picture, as it has been for us. Yeah, you're mentioning Lunar New Year, which comes up uh, in the first quarter of next year, generally around uh, the first week of February. Um, That's generally a time of uh, easing work and production in China and other Asian countries as well. But it's a big ramp up before then. But right now you're saying every sector in China is declining. Are we still going to see that same ramp up heading into Lunar New Year? Yeah, I mean, the Chinese economic picture is incredibly weak right now. It's been weakening every year, and year by, especially by year-over-year comparisons, things are looking uh, pretty bleak. Uh, the fact is this, that, you know, all year long, if there's one set of results that's been clear in, in the China Beige Book data, it's been that, look, companies do not want to invest, they don't want to hire till there's more stability and, and, and certainty out there. Um, that isn't going to change right away. Uh, so that's, it's going to take a while for consumers to regain the confidence to spend and for businesses to regain the confidence to expand operations and to start investing again, uh, which means that the economic recovery is going to take a, a while to be seen in the data and to be seen on the ground. Well, a lot of optimism, at least here in the United States, when it comes to Chinese Internet stocks. We've seen JD.com and Alibaba rally in the last few days. So my question to you is, and again, it's a big if, If China doesn't reopen fully, what do you think it means for the rest of the countries, the rest of the global economy that really depends on China as a manufacturing center? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're looking at a picture where so far China not running at full pace uh, has been actually great for global and, you know, for global inflationary pressures. Uh, It's something the Fed obviously is watching very closely and now has to has to obviously take take into account. Um, You know, a China not opening is a will not fully reopening is certainly going to be a big positive from the inflation angle. Uh, it will help keep commodities prices down uh, and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, so, so, so that, that is probably the only 
optimistic take uh, otherwise, in which which is which is a net negative uh, when it comes to global growth, because you're talking about a you know slowing down global economy next year, and if China doesn't fully reopen. Well, then China is not going to be doing much to push back on that trend either. It's just going to add on to the overall global economic slowdown. Yeah, a lot of optimism in the markets right now about a China reopening. But you're saying it's a maybe and it continues to be a big if. Shazad Kazi, we appreciate the insight. Thank you. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. This morning's big money movers and a classic work from home stock trying to make a comeback this morning with his shares down more than 70 percent this year. The name to watch revealed when Worldwide Exchange returns. Make sure you stay with us. Today's big number, 15.6%. That's how much used car prices have dropped since the record highs in January, according to the Mannheim Used Vehicle Value Index, hitting their lowest level in more than a year. Prices fell for the sixth straight month in November. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, it's that time. Big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. We begin with Chewy. The online retailer pet product swung to a profit in the third quarter on improved margins from supply chain and pricing trends. The company's also raising its sales forecast for the year. Chewy says people are still spending money on their pets, but demand remains geared towards food, treats, and health care versus discretionary items such as pet carriers, beds, costumes, even though you do see a lot of people dressing up their dogs. All right, Broadcom reporting better than expected fourth quarter results. The chip and software maker's first quarter guidance topping analyst estimates, but the company is not giving an outlook for the full year, citing limited visibility as it continues to work through a backlog of orders. Shares up 3.5%. And finally, DocuSign. Shares are rallying big time, up 12% after the company's third quarter results easily beat forecast. Revenue rising 18%, while billings were up 17%. Still, you have to remember that stock is down nearly 70% this year. Another one of those beaten beaten up cloud names. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest. Happy Friday, Philip. Happy Friday to you, Frank. Morning. After 10 months in Russian custody, WNBA star Brittany Griner is finally home. Griner is expected to land in San Antonio to undergo a medical evaluation. She spoke to President Biden on, fo- on the phone shortly after she was freed in a dramatic prisoner swap for a Russian arms dealer, Victor Boot. The Biden administration was hoping to negotiate a deal that also included the release of Paul Whelan, who is serving 16 years in a Russian penal colony on charges of spying. The U.S. strongly denies the spying allegation. The special master review of documents seized from former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home is officially over. Mr. Trump, who has called the investigation politically motivated, is not appealing a federal court ruling that ended the review. The DOJ will once again have access to thousands of documents from that search. Week 14 in the NFL, starting how week 13 ended with a fourth quarter comeback. Baker Mayfield was a Carolina Panther on Monday, and now he is a Ram. And after Cam Akers had that 
touchdown there. It was a one-score game. The new Rams quarterback finding Van Jefferson in the corner of the end zone with only 10 seconds left. What a shocker. The Los Angeles Rams snapped the six-game losing streak. They stunned the Raiders 17-16. to How about that? Frank, back to you. <laughs> How about are you, are you a, a Rams fan? I thought you were a Texas guy. I am. I'm from Texas. I like the Oilers. They're no longer around. But I just like a, an underdog story. And there's no more underdog than being unemployed by the end of the week and being the <laughs> hero before the weekend. And- uh, you know what? I don't know how I feel about Baker Mayfield. He's in like every commercial, or at least he was, and he doesn't play that great. So I'm wishing him the best of luck because you're right. What a roller coaster ride this season. Yeah, my fantasy team knows uh, just how short he came up in Carolina, but good for him. New start. All right, Philip Mena, good luck with your fantasy this <laughs> weekend. You. Enjoy Thank the weekend. Right, good to All see right. you. All right, coming up ahead on Worldwide Exchange, breaking down Tesla's tough week and if Musk can win back retail investor confidence and a stock that's down more than 50% this year. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you miss Brian Sullivan, check it out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Stocks looking to end the week on a positive note after the S&P 500 snaps its five-day losing streak, futures pointing to a muted but slightly higher open. The Biden administration looks to put a stop to Microsoft's nearly $69 billion bid for Activision, But is it really game over for this mega merger? And retail woes. Shares of Costco and Lululemon sliding ahead of the open on fresh headwinds and their latest quarterly results. It is Friday, December the 9th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange and happy Friday. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to how the final trading of the week is shaping up. As we mentioned, futures right now. They're kind of muted, but ticking just very slightly higher this morning. All the indices, indexes, however you want to say it, fractionally higher right now. The Nasdaq doing the best out of all of them. We also want to get a check on the bond market. The benchmark 10-year yield currently at 3.476, basically 3.48. Both the 10-year and the 2-year, about 10 basis points lower than they started the week. And, of course, you have to hit the energy market and oil. It's been another tough week for crude. WTI and Brent coming off their fifth straight negative session. This morning, however, both of them up off their highs of earlier. Both were up over a percent earlier today. Now, WTI up basically a percent. Brent crude just up over a half a percent. Both of them down for the week. Um, we also want to look here. Um, oh, excuse me. Also coming up, it's worst, worst weekly performance since early April. Lowest close of the year. It's still talking about oil. I'm skipping ahead of the prompter. I apologize, guys. All right. So the developing story around Microsoft and Activision Blizzard, the FTC filing to block the tech giant's merger of the $68 billion bid to acquire the video game publisher, adding just yet another hurdle in trying to get that deal done. You see the way the stocks are moving right now. Activision Blizzard down this morning. Microsoft basically flat. Joining us now with more of the next steps and what's expected to be a big fight over this deal answering the call of duty to come on worldwide <laughs> exchange is steve kovac that is a great pun frank yeah so let's talk about why the ftc is suing to block this deal the main reason well the suit lays out a history of microsoft's gaming acquisitions and it's using those to put exclusive titles on its own platforms so the example here is its 7.5 billion dollar acquisition of the game studio zenimax a couple years ago titles from that studio are going to be exclusive to Microsoft's platforms. Now, the fear from the FTC, the same will happen if Microsoft is allowed to buy Activision. And the issue here, Call of Duty, like you said, Frank, a multi-billion dollar franchise from Activision. 
Now, rivals like Sony have complained Microsoft will take it away from those rivals, too. But Microsoft has already offered to put Call of Duty on rival platforms for 10 years and even said it's willing to make that enforceable by the courts. Now, Sony hasn't responded, but just the other day, Nintendo agreed to Microsoft's 10-year Call of Duty offer. Meanwhile, Activision CEO Bobby Kotick firing back at the FTC in a letter to employees saying, quote, we believe these arguments will win despite a regulatory environment focused on ideology and misconceptions about the tech industry. And Microsoft President Brad Smith making it clear the company is going to fight this in court, saying in a statement, Microsoft tried to, quote, give peace a chance by offering concessions to the FTC. So the big question now, Frank, what additional concessions did Microsoft float by the FTC besides the 10-year Call of Duty deal? Now it sounds like there's no more peace, though. Microsoft, Frank, is ready for war. They're trying to give Piece of chance by offering people a first-person shooter game. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I, it's a little ironic. I, I, had to, like, I was trying to turn my wheels on that. All yeah. right, so here's a real big question. Um, I, I'm a video game player. I think you are as well. Does Microsoft have any actual incentive to limit uh, people licensing Call of Duty, wouldn't that just bring in more revenue? So yeah. isn't that one of the big concerns here? Well, that's exactly right, Frank. So when I talked to the Microsoft side of this, they, they said we'd be crazy to remove Call of Duty or not put new Call of Duty games on other platforms because guess what? Most of the money Call of Duty makes, or a huge percentage of it rather, comes from PlayStation, comes from other platforms off of outside of Microsoft's ecosystem. So they'd be you know, making Call of Duty and Activision itself just less valuable <laughs> if, if they just blocked it from other platforms so it actually it, it they're incentivized to do it and 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 stay by their word here very interesting um has the biden administration had a lot of luck winning these antitrust battles <laughs> no not really and I, our kayla our colleague kayla Talshi put this together i think out of the five major cases or four major cases uh the various regulatory agencies have only blocked one deal, that Simon & Schuster deal. But meanwhile, um, uh, they've had a really poor track record blocking these mega mergers. And this is the biggest one yet. Very interesting. Well, listen, as long as it doesn't mess up uh, my ability to play Madden or FIFA, <laughs> no, it won't. I'm not really concerned about Different this, publishers, Steve. so we're I, fine. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not that concerned, Steve. But I, obviously, a very big story in the world of tech and uh, the $69 billion merger, whether it's going to go forward or stop, a big issue for both Microsoft and Activision. Absolutely. Blizzard. Steve Kovac, we appreciate it. Thanks. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other top story. Silvana Hanau, she's back with those. Silvana, do you play Call of Duty? <laughs> no way. <laughs> I do like FIFA, though. That one I like to play. All right, let's get to some of the other top stories, Frank. The chair of the House Financial Services Committee looking to clarify her plans around taking a closer look at Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX's collapse. Speaking with Reuters, Congresswoman Maxine Waters says she is prepared to subpoena Bankman-Fried if he does not agree to appear before the panel next week. Waters' latest comments come after a CNBC report that she had informed a group of Democrats that she doesn't plan to subpoena the former FTX CEO. Meanwhile, Axios reports Bankman-Fried missed a deadline last night to respond to a Senate Banking Committee request to testify at a hearing. Amid those developments, the SEC releasing new guidance requiring companies that issue securities to disclose to investors their exposure and risk to cryptocurrencies. United Airlines is reportedly set to announce a major order with Boeing. According to Reuters, the deal will involve Boeing's 787 Dreamliner. United late yesterday invited reporters to a historic announcement on Tuesday at Boeing's South Carolina factory that builds the 787. Reuters also reporting Apple is bracing for a strike by workers in Australia, saying that hundreds of employees are preparing to walk off the job ahead of Christmas. 
Union leaders say employees are demanding better working conditions and wages. And a portion of the Keystone pipeline has been shut down after 14,000 barrels of oil spilled into a waterway in Kansas. The cause of the leak is unknown at this point, but it marks one of the largest oil spills in the U.S. in nearly a decade. And Frank, it's unclear how long that portion of the pipeline will be shut down. Yeah, certainly something to watch. Um, yeah. Energy is such a big issue for this market right now. It really Savannah, is. thank you very much. Yeah. Have a great Friday. All right, turning back to this morning's big money movers and shares of Lululemon under a bit of pressure ahead of the open after reporting holiday quarter guidance that was below analyst expectations. The athleisure giant now expecting Q4 sales in the range of $2.6 to $2.65 billion. Joining me now is retail guru Stacey Widlitz, SW Retail Advisors, and dealmaker hers, co-founder and president. A lot of titles there, Stacey. Good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. All right, so we got to dig into this Lululemon. What is going on? I mean, are people just not wearing athleisure the way they did? Why would we see a weaker fourth quarter forecast when a lot of us have really started to enjoy wearing those pants? Joe Kernan on Squawk Box, one of them. And also, it seems like people are actually getting back to going to gyms and back to yoga classes and things like that. Yeah, Frank, it's certainly become the new work wardrobe here. But Lululemon comps were up 25%. There's absolutely nothing wrong with demand there. And if you think about it, the traffic in stores was up 25% this quarter. Those are crazy numbers considering what the rest of retail is doing. But I think what happened here is the stocks had a huge rally and certainly the guidance kind of encompassed where the street was. So the fact that they've been blowing away expectations every quarter, a little bit of conservatism, a few comments about, hey, we have most of the quarter ahead and the environment's pretty dynamic just kind of lowering expectations is setting the stock taking back a little bit this morning. But I think if you look at their business, you know, I'm in stores all the time. The traffic is just incredible. There's very few promotions. There's a little bit of clearance. If you think about it, Athleta had a 30% off everything over Black Friday. Lulu had some clearance. Their stores were packed. They're gaining market share despite the fact that they're not giving away product like everybody else in the market here. You know, number one, Stacey, stocks look a bit more than a bit off, down 7.5%. So obviously investors have a lot of concerns, but you're really hitting on some of the things I was going to ask you about. I've been in a Lululemon. I didn't buy anything. Nothing was on sale. I went to the Nike outlet. Almost everything was on sale. But when you see a Lululemon, the powerhouse that it is in athleisure, give guidance that's below expectations, what does that mean about the holiday shopping season? And what other stocks could this possibly be an indicator of weaker demand for? Well, I think there's a sense of you know, a lot of conservatism in the environment. Obviously, the consumer is pulling back due to inflation. We're going into holiday. I think Black Friday for, for most retailers was somewhat disappointing. For Lulu, they were saying it was their best day ever. So, wow. you know, certainly no disappointment there. But I think there is a sense of let's set the expectations low. Let's reset the bar. It, it's not, uh, it's a smart thing to do going into such an uncertain holiday season. But, um, you know, so far, I think there's, in terms of their business, their price points, uh, no markdown clearance that we're really seeing red signals. Um, I think the story is very much intact, but um, I would be more concerned about an Athleta based, based on what I've seen with the traffic that's owned by Gap. 
Yeah, very interesting. So, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a yoga pants indicator. I know we have a lipstick indicator, but I want to switch gears with you a little bit. want to get your take on another slice of consumer spending. Costco out the results last night as well. Actually falling short of analyst expectations on both the top and the bottom lines comes after the chain last week reported slowing November sales. And that's despite a Black Friday bump. Um, you know, obviously, Costco really deals in essentials, grocery, et cetera. What does that mean that we're seeing a slowdown for Costco as well? Yeah, I mean, Costco's had these just monster comps for the past few years. And we, what we've seen in the month of November when they reported their numbers last week was that big ticket items decelerated. And that's what we're hearing in the industry. We're hearing weakness in consumer electronic, anything that's big ticket, um, X luxury at the high, high end, of course. And, and Costco's feeling that at this moment. There's also a sense of their reinvesting in price somewhat. So that's kind of where we fell short. And, you know, again, the read through to the consumer here is there is a lot of conservatism in terms of what people are spending and traffic. And nobody's immune to this, including Costco. Right. Well, we know that there's some questions about where people are spending, but people just seem to still be spending. I was out on Cyber Monday. Um, Numbers obviously a lot better than expected. So do you have any picks? What stocks do you expect to do well during this holiday season and this next quarter, even with this slowdown in some areas? Yeah, I think um, I'm looking at at truly great brands that have gone through a period of over-inventoried situation. We've seen so much of that with supply chain disruption and things are starting to normalize. And Lulu talked about that a little bit, but I think you take a look at brands like Nike that say, okay, you know, their apparel was uh, way over-inventoried. Their margins came down. They're clearing through that. We saw kind of the peak of their inventory problems at the end of August. And now that's normalizing. So, you know, that would be one of my top picks going into 2023. Any other picks? I mean, obviously, and I'm actually curious about this one. Nike's one of your picks when we're seeing softness and athleisure. Isn't that kind of Nike's business as well? I know they do things for, you know, they make products for hardcore athletes as well. But I feel like a big portion of their revenue comes from athleisure as well. It does. And I think athleisure is certainly holding up fairly well if you look at Lulu's numbers. And again, I think it's been more of an inventory problem. Also, think about Nike's 20% exposed to China. And, you know, so that's certainly been a huge pressure point. And as that opens up again, you're going to see that 20 percent of the business come back quite nicely. And also, I think you still have to take a look at the luxury guys like an LVMH. Stacey, we're we're certainly going to watch those brands. Stacey, we got to run. We have a bit of breaking news. But thank you very much. We appreciate your insight on the retail. All right. Turn our attention to some breaking news. We're going to show you some live pictures right now. We're we're looking at a plane in San Antonio that we believe, excuse me, a shot in San Antonio that we believe is Brittany Griner um, actually heading to get some medical care. Remember yesterday, Brittany Griner was released um, from a Russian prison as part of a prisoner swap that the Biden administration um, was able to pull off. Um, bringing Brittany Griner home. She had been uh, imprisoned and held in Russia for several months. She was originally detained for having uh, cartridges for vaping. Uh, again, right now, Brit- we believe Brittany Griner just got off the plane. This is a vehicle taking her to get medical attention. She's believed inside this van right now. Um, this is a live look at San Antonio right now. Obviously, a developing story. Brittany Griner, Brittany Griner WNBA star, um, Olympic champion, released from prison, now back in the United States in San, San Antonio, Texas, um, headed to get medical care. This is a shot of her in this van just getting off the plane. And Worldwide Exchange will be right back. If we have any more on this story, we'll certainly bring it to you. 
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It has been a tough week for Tesla, with shares down more than 10% since Monday. Investors digesting a string of mixed signals around the company and its CEO, Elon Musk. On Monday, reports the company is slashing output at its Shanghai factory over demand concerns, a report Tesla calls untrue. Then on Wednesday, Tesla discounting some models for Chinese buyers, again over slowing demand concerns. Then on Thursday, Bloomberg got with a report further casting a cloud over Chinese demand. Also news that Elon Musk bankers are weighing new margin loans backed by Tesla stock to replace some high interest debt taking on during the Twitter deal. But despite all of that, a CEO that splits his time between half a dozen companies and a stock that's down more than 50 percent this year, Wall Street remains overwhelmingly positive on the stock. You can see right now it's up about a third of a percent this morning. Joining me now is Wall Street Journal tech columnist and CNBC contributor Tim Higgins. Tim, we're looking at a lot of analyst confidence in Tesla. So my question to you, how long can Elon Musk spend this much time at Twitter and people still feel this confident about his ability to run Tesla? Well, as long as the results uh, are inspiring and uh, kind of fueling enthusiasm that growth is going to be a huge potential in the years to come. We've seen uh, investors willing to overlook the fact that he's split through so many different uh, ventures. So it's really for Elon and for Tesla all about uh, delivering results. And we're going to see those kind of results in the next few weeks as we get to year end uh, delivery results and then kind of the color in, in early January about the expectations for growth going forward. Remember, this is a company that's been talking about 50% on 50% growth for years to come. And that's part of why there's all that exuberance in the stock over the past year or so. So here's the real question. Um, this is a stock that a lot of times traded just on enthusiasm and Elon Musk basically having a cult of investors and people that just believed in his vision. Why is it all of a sudden that these numbers are impacting the stock? Well, there's there's concern. You, you hit on this point that this has been a lot of hope baked into the future. Uh, but in some ways, uh, reality is, is hitting uh, the market here in, in part because the biggest the potential for Tesla has been in the Chinese market. Lots of concerns there. The idea that incentives are on the hood for these vehicles, not only in China, but here in the U.S., uh, are kind of a mixed signal and something that investors are not accustomed to Tesla because it would suggest that maybe demand is not as robust um, as uh, they had been in the past. And there's always this concern that uh, demand is is going to, to start to wane. And then really what you have in a growth stock story if demand is having to be pulled forward with uh, classic car business incentives. All right. So we're talking about Elon Musk bankers um, basically trying to readjust the terms of this loan. How serious is this for the Tesla stock? Well, it, the concern is that it becomes uh, a little bit of a Twitter hangover uh, on the Tesla stock. Uh, the, the risk could be that um, if, if Elon is taking out this personal loans based upon um, his shares, and the Tesla stock uh, decreases, he might have to put up more stock or he might have to sell stock uh, unexpectedly into the market, which would then hurt the stock uh, price because it would be flooding the market. Uh, so the, it, it adds a, an element of uncertainty and greater risk into a situation that is full of uh, risk already there at Twitter and it, taking his time and then potentially putting risk into Tesla as well. So, Tim, I'm no conspiracy theorist, but as we just mentioned, Tesla stock is down. And then last earnings call, Elon Musk said there might be a stock buyback, maybe $5 billion, up to $10 billion, up to the board. Would the board want to launch the stock buyback and, and perhaps buy Tesla at a quote-unquote discount with the thought that once Elon Musk stops being so distracted by Twitter, the stock price will go back up again? 
Well, it's something that has clearly, uh, clearly kind of excited some investors uh, in the, the recent months, this kind of idea that this was going to be occurring. And, and you're right, it was kind of dangled at a period of time when there was concern about how Elon was going to kind of structure the Twitter deal, if he was going to be using uh, uh, loans uh, based upon his stock or he was going to be selling more into the market. And it's uh, one of the levers that seemed to be out there that was being pulled to kind of excite investors yet again in, into Tesla. So one last thought here, Tim. Um, what would you say the outlook is for Tesla going through the rest of this year and into the first quarter? Obviously, with these China demand issues and China being a big if about its reopening. You know, one of the things that I'm hearing is concern that pricing is going to have to be adjusted in 2023 for vehicles. And so the question is, if they can keep demand going, is it going to be as profitable? Uh, will the average selling prices have to come down? So there's there's worry on those uh, those kinds of questions. But if the company can continue to keep those factories humming and those vehicles getting into consumers' hands, then you're, you're going to see some investors that are, are relatively happy compared to the overall automotive market. Elon Musk, never a dull moment. Tim Higgins, we really appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Our own deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Stocks looking to limp to the finish line as the market's weekly win streak. It looks a little bit at risk. We tee up the final trading day ahead. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. It's back. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen making history. Yellen unveiling the first U.S. dollars bearing her signature, marking the very first time a female Treasury Secretary's signature appears on the currency. Her signature appears alongside U.S. Treasurer Lynn Malarbas, the first Native American to serve in that role. So history all around. Bids are rolling in for a chance to have lunch with billionaire investor Bill Ackman. As of the last hour, 29 offers have been made for that sit-down, with the current bid sitting at 41 k That auction ends on Monday. And the BBC offering an inside look at the bedrooms that have been set up in Twitter's San Francisco headquarters. But those sleeping digs, they may be short-lived. The city's building inspections department is now investigating the conversions given that Twitter's HQ is earned for commercial use and not residential use. <laughs> Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, coming off that live look at the nation's capital, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A look ahead at the day ahead for investors at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We get the latest read on inflation with the November price producer price index figure. Then at 10 a.m., it's consumer sentiment and wholesale inventory figures. Meanwhile, the court hearing and the FTC's bid to block Meta's bid to buy a VR app developer continues this afternoon. And the Nasdaq 100 set to announce its annual re-ranking of the index later on today. All right, stocks looking to close out what will likely be a losing week with the major indices poised to snap their two-week winning streaks. And your next guest says for many investors, he's talking to the he's talking to they're waiting for the new year before putting their money back in the markets and back to work. Zachary Hill is the head of portfolio management, Horizon Investments. Zachary, great to have you on this morning. Great to be with you, Frank. All right. So let's just start off with how you're looking at the day ahead. Um, obviously, we have some numbers. They're going to speak to inflation with the producer price index. Is that as meaningful as the PCE or CPI when it comes to the markets? You know, three or six months ago, um, CPI was all that mattered. And, and you know, a couple, a couple weeks ago at Powell's speech at Brookings, he started to introduce some nuance around inflation. So that's a new thing. Um, and so we are watching today's PPI print more than we were, say, three months or six months ago. Um, but really, the main event uh, is next week with, with CPI and then the Fed following. 
All right. So obviously we have something today that could move the markets. Maybe not. And the next week we have the big Fed meeting. How big are macro factors weighing on this market? And even for this next week, we're obviously on pace for what could be a down week this week ahead of that big Fed meeting next week. Yeah, I mean, you know, this whole year has really been driven by macro. Um, that That's something that people have been kind of wanting to look past and get into company fundamentals, and we just haven't been able to do it. Um, you know, inflation of 40-year highs, Fed policy that's really been in the driver's seat around all asset prices, uh, and we don't see that changing, unfortunately. Um, you know, the one thing that that I would say, uh, as, as you know, kind of we, we look forward, is we have seen a lot of, you know, systematic buying, a lot of... Um, kind of price indiscriminate type of type of flows as trends have shifted. And so that has really dominated kind of price action in the last few weeks and may do so into the end of the year. So right now we're looking at bond yields. Um, they're down about 80 basis points from their high in the second half of the year. I believe we got up to about 4.2 percent. Does that signal it's time to get into growth stocks or is it still really about the value trade? Is it about cyclicals? I mean, if the macro pressures are weighing on this market, where's the smart place to put the money? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is an active debate uh, that we have on our team and, and certainly in the market, and we think it's still time to stick with the value trade. I mean, you know, yes, rates have fallen a lot um, and quite quickly. Uh, that that could very well reverse here and very well reverse next week, depending on what the CPI print says. But, you know, overall, as we look at kind of the growth trade and one of the big ideas behind that that's propelled, you know, those stocks in the U.S., especially for the last 10 years, is that it didn't matter what the macro environment, it didn't matter what the economic growth environment is doing. You know, they were going to earn money regardless. And what we've seen in these layoffs and, you know, worries about advertising spending and that sort of thing is that, you know, Big tech in the U.S. is not immune to economic conditions. And so, you know, that, I think that's a major shift that investors are having trouble kind of internalizing, given what we've seen, you know, in terms of performance for the last 10 years. And so, no, we, we, we stick with the value trade for now. So you mentioned those tech layoffs, and they've obviously gotten a lot of headlines. We've covered them pretty closely here on CNBC. But in general, I think the sentiment is the labor market's still generally tight. How does that impact the markets? I mean, obviously, the Fed's going to be looking at that. And then, oddly enough, when we get a good jobs report, sometimes the markets go down. Yeah, you know, that good news is bad news thing. Um, but uh, that is the way kind of that we think about it is the Fed does want to actively weaken the labor market. Uh, they need to slow down wage inflation because it's nowhere compatible with a 2% inflation target. And so, you know, as we look at the, the uh, labor market, you know, on balance, we see it as quite strong still. You know, there have been a lot of headlines uh, around these types of things. But, you know, as we look at it, no, we, we still have a shortage of workers and still have some work to do there. And so, you know, that's kind of informing our view, both in terms of inflation being a little stickier than I think the market expects, and also our view around growth. I mean, we're not really willing to bet against the U.S. consumer when the job market is this strong. So I know you don't do short-term investing, but we got to get out of here. One last question. For the next week, ahead of this uh, big inflation report, this Fed meeting, what sector do you see as the most investable? You know, I think energy is one that's really interesting. Um, it's gotten beaten down, um, and, you know, we've seen a lot of liquidation in, uh, you know, in oil markets in general. There have been some, some talk of things, you know, like that and some, some rebalancing, I think, towards the end of the year. Um, but that's still something that we see, especially with all this news around China, you know, that hasn't really gotten that pop that we would expect, and so that's something that we're looking at. All right, Zachary Hill, we appreciate the insight. Thank you very much. All right, before we go, a quick check on shares of Netflix. Wells Fargo upgrading the stock to overweight with a $400 price target from $300. Netflix shares up nearly 3% in the pre-market, up 30% in the past three months. Futures right now flat to fractionally higher. And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.